Good morning, everybody. It's our third week in Advent, and this week we are talking about the topic of repentance. Exciting, right? Like it's everybody's favorite. There's a lot going on here. We're in Advent, this waiting, anticipating, longing. This whole section of the year, we've been talking about joy, this reality that we are God's beloved, that he is with us, and that it's to impact and infuse our emotions, the way we carry ourselves through our day, that joy is to radiate out of everything. And so we have Advent and joy and repentance together. And it makes me start with a question here of what is your expectation of repentance? Like where where do you feel you need to come in emotionally around this word? So to repent is to turn back, to turn around. It's, it's to return to God. And when I think of repentance, I think of John the Baptist's call before Jesus in Jesus' ministry. John the Baptist was calling people to repent for the kingdom of God is near. And there's emotions in it, right? Now, the emotions that I carried within me don't really match the joy that we're talking about. They don't really match the proclamation of John the Baptist. For me, I feel like the emotion with repentance should be real somber. We should show remorse. Now, I remember growing up, I had to say I'm sorry a lot, particularly to my little brother. As an adult, he's one of my favorite humans. As a little human, he was not my favorite. I wasn't always nice to him. And by always, I mean I wasn't ever nice to him. And I would have to apologize all the time. But there was this phrase that would happen a lot, like, Matt, say you're sorry. And then like, no, you have to look sorry. You have to act sorry. You have to actually be sorry. You can't just snarky say I'm sorry or or with with that tone, you can't say sorry. You have to sound and show that you're sorry. And this kind of speaks to what I've expected in in repentance, like as if God doesn't know our hearts, I have to act and 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 feel real somber and and sad. This week, I was thinking about when I was young and and at Christmas, like like now. Now every year, I thought that that Santa just brought like the best of gifts to every kid. Thought that's what happened, and then there was one year. Where this family, like, crossed the street, like, three houses down in the blue house, rumor spread on Christmas Day that the older of the two girls actually got cold. Now, I thought that was just a threat. I didn't know that could actually happen. And yet, she got cold, and it hit our house by, like, the time we were opening our stockings. And I was terrified for several years. I, I, I felt like I don't even know how to tell Santa the things that I've done that are naughty. I'm sorry for doing them, and I hope that my good outweighs my bad, but I was terrified that I would get cold. Now, that same attitude, I I carried on as a young teenager into my, my, like, quest for spirituality. As I tried to find out who God was and what God was like, I remember sitting at night in my bed and trying to recall throughout my day every sin that I had done. 
and trying to list them all out and list that I was sorry for them. It was a little bit like a daily exam, and if you've ever done those, but it was as if you're doing the daily exam before this incredibly scary God. And I tried to list every sin because I really believe that I, I was afraid I would die that night. And if there was something that I hadn't repented for, well, I mean, that's it. Or if I didn't repent well enough, or if I didn't act or show that I was sorry, I wasn't somber and sad. Now, there is something that we should be, we, we should be sorry for our sin. We should be, uh, like, shame is not of God, but, but there is guilt that, that we feel. But this thing of repentance, we're not going to repent to a God who's cruel. We're not repenting to a God who causes us to fear his, his wrath against us. And, and that's what we're talking about. What is it that we get to repent to, even here in Advent? What is it that we repent to? We're going to look at Isaiah 35. I want to read for you a couple of verses here, just verse 3 and 4 to begin. It's written, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong. Do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Now, Isaiah's writing about a return to Jerusalem. So that context is not ours. And yet for hundreds and thousands of years, People have read the book of Isaiah as having truth to those people in those days about a physical returning to a land, but also as something bigger than that. Something that Jesus grabbed a hold of the language of Isaiah, pulled it into the New Testament and said that he was the beginning of text, just like this one. And so for thousands of years now, people have read Isaiah as, yes, this physical returning that people did. And that has happened, but also as language that informs us coming into the kingdom of God and what that kingdom of God looks like. And so here we see that God is strengthening hands, that he's telling the fearful to be strong. But then there's the word vengeance in there. And it makes me right away go back into that fear place. I'm like, okay, is vengeance against me because I'm wrong? But look at where God's positioned to us here. It says, he will come, not to pour out his vengeance on you, but he will come to save you. That's what God is coming to do. That's what we're repenting to. We're turning back to this God who will save you. Look at where this language goes next. It says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy, for water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. There's a lot in this language. And in the next year, we're going to spend some time looking at the, the very beginning of this. Because often in Scripture, we find things like the eyes of the blind shall be open, the ears of the deaf unstopped. So what does this mean? And what does this look like? And we're going to spend some time early in the year 
next year looking at this and talking about the difference between healing and curing and talking about what healing and wholeness in God looks like and where that comes with actual physical ailment and and praying for healing and those kind of things. We're going to look at that together. But as we look at these verses in this context, we're, re- we're returning, we're repenting to this kingdom, to this movement of God where, where sight is restored, where the lame leap like deer. But it's not just that. This is a desert land where the sand's so hot you don't want to touch it. You ever been in that situation? Where you, you don't want to go with your bare feet on the, the pavement or on the grass or on the sand because it's, it's just too hot. These people don't have water. And God's saying that what his kingdom looks like is that sand becomes a pool, becomes standing water because there's so much. That water just gushes out and the jackals, these nasty animals that taunt and torment the people, put them in fear. Well, they're, they're going to be, their land is going to be a swamp. They're going to be stuck. They're no longer a threat for the people of God. Goes on and says, a highway shall be there. Should be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it, but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fool, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. There shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. Okay, there's a few things here. If you're like me, I mean, some of us think we're always in. I come with a mindset of I'm always out. I'm always wrong. And so when there's language like the unclean shall not travel, my thinking is like, well, then I can't travel. When it says things like the redeemed shall walk there, my thinking is, well, I don't know that that's me. So I guess I'm disqualified. But let's look at the actual theology of this. We know these things, right? You're God's beloved because he said so, not because you've done something. You're redeemed because you add your amen. You place your faith in what Jesus has already done. You're clean, not because you washed correctly and you lived correctly, but because of the blood of Jesus has covered over you, transformed you, and made you new. You're not unclean if if God says that you're clean. This is the whole thing that we saw with Peter in Acts, right? Don't you dare call unclean. God said it's clean. Don't call common what God has called holy. And you, sister, brother, you daughter, son of the God most high, you who place your faith in Jesus. Well, you're other, you're holy. You're set apart as an example of how we're made clean because of what Jesus has done. And that's what this is talking about. And so if you're somebody like me who takes missteps, he says really clearly here, no traveler who's on this road, no traveler who repents and finds their way in the kingdom of God falls astray. Nobody. Even if you're foolish, you don't go astray. You don't because your mistakes are not more powerful than God's love for you or God's guidance as you go. As long as you remain in him, then we're good here. And these threats, the lions, the ravenous beasts that have always scared us and brought fear into our life, they, they come upon us when they can't do it here. Now, I've never crossed a lion, but I've had possums fall into my bathroom before. And those are really scary. And I hid from them. And we, we called 
everybody we could. And I, I had honor protect me and everybody else had to fend for themselves. I've gone with people from our church and we've, we've hung out with some wild monkeys. Those are scary. I can't imagine what a lion is. I, I get afraid of, of pretty much every animal. And here, not only the possums are not gonna harm you, but the lions are not gonna harm you. And as we read it for us today, it's not so much the wildlife that we're protected from, but it's this declaration of what the kingdom of God looks like. Whereas we fully live in the kingdom and God's kingdom is fully established, there's nothing that we have to fear. There's nothing. And it's not some exclusive group that you aren't a part of or I'm not invited into. No. This is for those of us who add our amen to what God has already done. For those of us who believe that our identity as somebody who's beloved by God is deeper and more core to us than any other identity we can take on. This is the experience of repentance. And yes, we feel guilt and that turns us. But scripture is really clear that it's not the guilt Alone, it's the kindness of God that turns us to repentance. Now, we might feel disappointment that we did something again, that we betrayed ourselves, that we acted as if God wasn't enough or what God has done within us is not enough. But ultimately, we're returning into this kingdom that Isaiah is describing here. And we re-enter that in joy. Because why would we not feel joy? as there's water where there once was not water, as there's wholeness in places where we were not whole before, as threats are silenced and joy is known. But we're in Advent. Advent is this period leading up to Christmas, right? And Advent is this time of waiting. And if it's ever in my life felt like Advent, it's this year where we're waiting. I love this promise that no lion is ever going to roar and harm us. But right now, it feels like there are lions who are roaring and harming us. And reality is, if we can think about it, it's not just in the U.S. It's everywhere. It's all people across the whole world are facing some of these same challenges. And we are waiting. We're entering into this time right now. We're in the middle of it. This time of Advent, of waiting. This time that God's people have done for centuries. First, they waited for the very first appearing of Jesus when he came as Emmanuel, God with us, into the center of one of the darkest, most difficult places. He came as shining light. And now, we're waiting. We, we have the beginning tastes of God's kingdom, but we're waiting for God's kingdom to be fully established. But we can wait in joy. See, these last couple weeks, for whatever reason, Anna's gotten really into baking. She loves to crack the eggs, and she's actually better at it than you think she would be. And she doesn't bother asking me because I'm a horrible baker. So she asks Nikki, and, and they love it. They, you always love the idea of baking, right? I mean, it's fun, too. But the idea of it is so great, and, and Nikki's awesome at just doing the baking with her anyway. And they... They've made cookies and they've made muffins and they've made cupcakes and they've got more cookies planned. And I don't do any of it, but I get to enjoy it. And I can always tell when they're baking 
not only because I'm super excited and running around talking about cracking eggs, but also because you can smell it, right? If somebody's baking something good, the whole house smells like what's being baked. And you might be 10 or 20 or 30 minutes away from eating that, but you can smell it. Last week they made these cookies and I could I could smell the cookie when I walked downstairs and it smelled so good and I knew it wasn't time to eat it yet. And that smell made me hungry. But I didn't want it in that moment. I, I wanted like, I mean, cookie dough is all right, but like I wanted the actual cookie. I wanted it warm, but I wanted the actual cookie. It was worth the wait. Now, 2020. It's a dark year. It's been a hard year. You look at even our our church. I remember Jamel just about a year ago talked about those little ant farms. And when you shake up an ant farm and, and it's got to start all over, it feels like 2020 kind of did that to us. And it's been dark. But reality is, if we're, if we're honest, darkness is a great backdrop for light. Darkness is a great place for light to break through, for light to be most recognized. And if there's ever been a time in my lifetime where I know that people are hungry for the things of God, it's right now. And I'm not just talking about people who are distant from God, though it's true of them too. I'm talking about you, me, people who are churched, people who are a part of a church, members, serving, all of that. Still, sometimes we can get so busy and caught up that we miss what's going on. But right now, life is just heavy. We're moving slower. And maybe that's a gift. And maybe we're realizing these places where we are desperate for God's kingdom. And I'm not trying to make light of your pain. I'm not trying to make light of what you're going through. I'm just saying God can even use that. And into that darkness, God can bring light. I truly believe that God's kingdom is near. I truly believe that God is at work changing hearts, reconciling people. I believe if we, if we try, if we stop for a moment, I believe we can feel this joy of repentance, this joy in waiting. I, I believe we can, well, the kingdom's so near, we can smell it. And this week, as you prepare for Christmas, as you get nearer, I want to invite you to do just that. Take some time, close your eyes, be before God, and sense the hope of God near. Let his kingdom come so near that you can that you can smell. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're Emmanuel 2,000 years ago, but today as well. Thank you that you're with us. I thank you that you've never given up and that these promises in Scripture and these, these uh, paintings that you've made and these word pictures they will be our life. They will be what we know. And even the, the beginning sense of them, even the first tastes of them are for now. And so for those of us who are desperate for you to be near, I pray, Holy Spirit, 
that you would be near to us. For those of us who feel like darkness is winning, I pray that you would bring light, that you'd bring comfort. And that as we dare repent towards you, maybe even repent of of living a bit hopeless, living a little bit without joy, as, as we repent towards you, I pray that you would fill our hearts with the joy of you. And that together we could wait in anticipation, knowing that you're good. In your name, amen.